0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host Joe Fischetti, thank you as always for listening. I'm taking this episode solo once again, just because the schedule has been so busy lately but not to worry I plan on returning to the panel review episodes. For the Bologna match, I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our loss to Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia on Thursday, and in part two, I'll preview our match on Monday against Bologna. So let's start with the Fiorentina match, which we lost 5 2 in extra time. This was our fifth loss at the Maradona in all competitions this season. We also drew to Hellas Verona at home, so our win percentage at home is only 60%, which is really low. Dusan Vlahovic opened the scoring about 5 minutes before the break. Napoli equalized a few minutes later through Dries Mertens. That was his 143rd goal in a Napoli shirt. Then just before the end of the first half, Fiorentina goalkeeper Bartolomej Drogowski was sent off for a foul on Eli Felmas. So after an opening 40 minutes where very little happened, we had a wild end to the first half. The second half was more of the same, Napoli were controlling the play with the extra man, but Cristiano Biraghi put Fiorentina ahead on a second effort after his free kick hit the wall. Needing to score in the 64th minute, Luciano Spalletti replaced Diego Demme with Fabian Ruiz and Matteo Politano with Chucky Lozano. That didn't really work so well, Fabian was cautioned in the 77th minute, then Lozano was sent off in the 84th minute and Fabian picked up a second yellow card in the third minute of stoppage time. So in 16 minutes, we went from being a man up to playing 10v10 to playing a man down. Fortunately, there was six minutes of stoppage time because Fiorentina were taking every opportunity they could to kill the clock. And just when it appeared that this game was over, Andrea Petagna scored his second goal in as many matches to force extra time. Unfortunately, we simply ran out of juice. We had some visibly tired legs out there. Mertens, Elmas, Di Lorenzo, and Rachmani all played the full 90 minutes against Sampdoria on Sunday, and then they played the full 120 minutes in this match. They just could not keep up with the 10-man Fiorentina side. Lorenzo Venuti put La Viola ahead right at the end of the first half of extra time, and then the wheels completely fell off after that. Christoph Piontek scored the fourth goal in his debut for Fiorentina, and Youssef Male scored the fifth. Sport Mediaset had some great stats on this match which I'll include throughout this review. For instance, this was the first time Napoli lost their first match in the Coppa Italia since losing to Bologna in December 2012. Also, we haven't conceded 5 or more goals in a match since giving up 5 to Milan in 2008 and the last time we conceded at least 5 in a Coppa Italia match was in 1963. We'll cover all of that in this review and we'll revisit our 3 keys to the match. But first, let's review the starting lineups. As expected, Vincenzo Italiano made a number of changes to the squad he fielded midweek against Torino. He started Dragovski over Pietro Terraciano in goal. Nastasic started over Lucas Martinez-Quarta at center back alongside Nikola Milenkovic. Cristiano Biraghi started at left back and Lorenzo Venuti started over Alvaro Odriozzola at right back. Lucas Torreira started at Regista, which surprised me because Torreira has played a lot of late. I thought Eric Pulgar might start there. Gaetano Castrovilli and Alfred Duncan played as the two attacking midfielders, relegating Giacomo Bonaventura to the bench. Surprisingly, Nico Gonzalez started on the right wing despite both Jose Calejon and Jonathan Icone being available. With Ricardo Sotil hurt and Nico on the right, Ricardo Saponada played on the left wing, and finally, Dusan Vlahovic started at striker. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti made only one change to the squad that he fielded against Sampdoria and two changes compared to our predicted 11. Davido Spina started in goal, Amir Rachmani and Axel Twanzibis started at centre back. Surprisingly, Fauzi Gulam started at left back. I was not expecting him to start his third match in 8 days. Fortunately, Mario Rui tested negative on the day of the match so I imagine he will start against Bologna. Of course, Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right back. Diego Deme and Stanislav Lobotka both started in the double pivot. I was expecting Fabian Ruiz to start but I guess he still was not 100% fit. I think he should be ready to go for the Bologna match though. The front four remained unchanged from the Sampdoria match. Elif Elmas started on the left wing, Matteo Politano started on the right wing, Dries Mertens played in the number 10, and Andrea Petagna started at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's revisit our three keys to the match. My first key to the match was that we had to stop Dusan Vlahovic, he scored the first goal of the match, so we did not achieve this goal. Now it's easy to blame a bit for this goal, as he was the player marking the goal scorer. But there were others at fault as well. First, Gulam committed to intercepting the pass by Torreira for Gonzalez near the touchline, and Gulam simply did not get there on time. Unfortunately, that is Gulam's biggest weakness at the moment he's played well, and it's great to see him start in three consecutive matches, over eight days no less, but after two knee surgeries, he just does not have the pace that he once had. That missed tackle allowed Gonzalez to play in the cross, which he overhit, but then Saponada collected the ball on the left wing. The second player to blame is Matteo Politano. He dove in on Saponata, and the Fiorentina winger was able to skip past him with ease, Politano even tried to pull Saponada's shirt and he failed to do that as well. That allowed Saponada to pick out Vlahovic in the area. And then you had Tuanzebe. I think the error he made was more subtle than what most people were complaining about. That is... I think he was just playing too far off of Vlahovic to begin with. If he's marking Vlahovic tighter there, then he might have been able to intercept the pass or to be in a better position to block the shot. Instead, he was chasing just a little bit and then was left out of position after Vlahovic's first touch. But we have to give Fiorentina credit as well. I thought Saponara was Fiorentina's best player in the first half. He was dropping on that left wing and a lot of Fiorentina's attack went through him. On the goal, he did well to dribble past Politano and then to pick up Vlahovic in the area. And that first touch by Vlahovic was perfect. That's what made this goal possible. The finish was good as well. Perhaps Ospina could have made the save there, but it was struck with such power that I don't blame him a whole lot, really. Other than the goal, we actually did a decent job of stopping Vlahovic. He had one other chance early in the match where Ospina made a nice save. That chance was on Elmas for not coming to the ball to receive Ospina's pass, which allowed Nico Gonzalez to nip in and set up Vlahovic for the shot. But because he scored, I'm going to say that we did not achieve this key to the match. My second key to the match was that we needed to take on Fiorentina's defenders, and I'm going to say that we did not achieve this one either. Obviously, it was harder to do that in extra time playing a man down, but Fabian didn't get the second yellow until stoppage time of the second half. By the way, I thought the first yellow on Fabian was pretty soft. I completely agree with Spalletti's comment after the match that Fabian and Duncan were both cautioned, but there's no way that those two tackles were of the same value as Spalletti put it. Either way, though, we played the entire first half 10v10. 10 10. Then we played 35 minutes of the second half 10v9 and then the remaining 10 minutes of normal time 9v9. Even though the first half ended 1-1 with Napoli up a player, I thought Fiorentina were clearly the better side in the first half. We looked uninterested and unmotivated. We lacked urgency. We lacked energy. Fiorentina were quicker to the ball. They were winning the second balls and they were controlling the run of play. Yes, we scored, but it was because of a gift from Drangovsky had a rough first half especially with his ball distribution credit to lobotka petania and especially mertens for taking the opportunity though since november only vlahovic immobile and tammy abraham have scored more goals than dries mertens beyond that goal though we actually created very little in the attack in the first half this performance for me was the closest that i've seen to gatuzo's napoli where we were so determined to play the ball out of the back, and then when we were pressured, we were forced to go long. The problem is, going long to Petagna is definitely not the same thing as going long to Osiman. When Victor is there, by all means, go long and let him run. With Petagna up top, you have to play the ball to his feet and let him hold it up. We actually did that once early in the match, and it led to a scoring opportunity. Ospina played the ball to his feet, Petagna laid it off to Mertens, and he played Elmas through but Venuti did well to chase him down and block the shot. By the way, I think it's also worth noting that when you have COVID, even after you have negative tests, it takes a couple of weeks for your lungs to get back to 100%. We saw how long it took for Demma and Politano to get back when they tested positive. They didn't play then because we had other options available. Elmas has been forced to play because we've been so depleted lately, and to me at least, he hasn't quite looked himself. I think he's getting closer, but that's something I'm going to keep an eye on with Mario Rui and Piotr Zielinski, who have both tested negative now. Back to our play in the first half, it's quite clear to me that our counterattack is almost non-existent when Osaman is not on the field, for the same reason that the long ball is ineffective, we just don't have the pace out there. I thought we started the half well though, we seemed more in control, we were passing the ball around, but that only lasted about 10 minutes before Biragi scored. So let me give you my thoughts on that goal. First, I think that was a foul by Rachmani, I don't think that was all ball like some people were suggesting. These days, if you get the ball and take out the player in the same motion, the foul is going to be called. Now, I know a lot of people are blaming Meret for not making the save on the second effort, Personally, I don't blame him considering the shot was curled into the upright and in. Sure, you can say he was a little out of position after the first effort hit the wall fine, but that's still a very difficult save to make. Now, I'm not a huge Medette defender, Ospina has clearly surpassed Medette this season, but for anyone who says that Ospina would have stopped this shot... I suggest you go back and have a look at the goal we conceded to Juventus, because in my opinion, it was very similar. Yes, that shot took a deflection, but the deflection slowed the shot down as well. Like Meret, Ospina was too far on one side of the goal, and I didn't blame Ospina either, because where the ball ended up, it was always going to be difficult to stop, and that's how I feel about this goal as well. Getting back to this key to the match, after Fiorentina went ahead, it became very difficult for us to run at the defenders. They basically dropped everyone behind the ball to defend. As our friend Carm from the Napoli Club Toronto said, at times it seemed like they had a seven man back line. When we did take on their defenders though, it actually worked quite well. We just couldn't finish. Politano had a couple of chances running at the defenders in the first half. Even though he missed a target, I was glad to see him cut to his right because just doing that occasionally make him so much more difficult to defend we also saw Lozano take on Castrovilli and he hit the upright so when we took on their defenders it worked unfortunately we perhaps didn't do it enough and when we did do it we just couldn't finish my final key to the match is that we needed to defend the cross and I'm going to say that we achieved this one or perhaps that it wasn't applicable because Fiorentina didn't really attack through the wings as much as I thought they would there was the corner kick early in the match where Milenkovic hit the bar but otherwise most of fiorentina's attack was through the middle and then in extra time it was on the break so we only achieved one of our three keys to the match which is consistent with the final result i'll close this review by looking quickly at the remaining four goals starting with pitana's equalizer I thought Elmas played a great switch to Malqui on this play. He also returned after testing negative for COVID. Going back to our second key to the match, I suppose you could say that Malqui took on the defender before he played in the cross. I thought Mertens did just enough to disrupt Nastasic for that ball to get through to Patania. And even though it was an easy chance to take, we've seen players miss easy chances before, so credit to Patania for putting that one away. So that got us to extra time. Unfortunately, like I said, we just ran out of juice. Fiorentina were all over us, we could not get the ball back, and that's completely understandable when you consider first of all that we were a man down, and second of all how much some of these players have played lately, I mentioned the players who played the full 90 against Sampdoria and then the full 120 minutes in this match, I mentioned Elmas possibly not being at full health, he's not the only one, Fabian just returned from injury, and Malqui and Lozano both just recovered from Covid as well. So even though we had more players on the bench than we've had in the past few matches, we were far from 100%. The Venuti goal, in my opinion, was entirely the result of being a player down. Venuti is a right back, so normally the left winger would be responsible for picking up that run, but we didn't have a left winger. Elmes was playing in the midfield with Di Lorenzo, of all people, and Mertens and Chofi were together up top, but they were playing more centrally. Credit to Venuti as well, he had all the time in the world, but for a right back that was a quality finish. He kept his composure and guided the volley with the instep of his right boot into the side netting to put Fiorentina ahead. All three of Venuti's goals for Fiorentina have come in the Coppa Italia and each one has been in a different half. He scored one in the first half, another in the second half and this one in extra time. After that, the wheels fell off. On the fourth goal, Malqui pressed and got caught out of position, which left Malé wide open on the left wing. But it wasn't entirely Malqui's fault, we still had adequate coverage at that point. We had Tuanzebe, Rachmani, and Juan Jesus back to defend Malé, Piontek, and Ikone. Then Venuti joined the attack, and no one followed him, so at that point, we were outnumbered. Piontek and Venuti played the give and go, and then Piontek tapped it in. I joked that even Piontek couldn't miss that chance, but he did well to play Venuti and to continue his run. That was Piontek's first goal for an Italian club in 729 days. Finally, Malle scored the fifth with about a minute left to play. At that point, no one was really trying anymore, the match was lost, and we were really just going through the motions. I would have liked to see Meret stop that shot, but it was similar to the Vlahovic goal in the sense that it was shot with power from close range, which is always difficult for the keeper to stop, especially when the ball is on the ground like that. So just like that, we are out of the Coppa Italia. Like I said in my preview, I wanted to win, but I wouldn't be too disappointed if we lost, and I am not. Between the single-leg quarterfinals and double-leg semifinals and finals, That's potentially 5 matches we don't have to play compared to some of our direct rivals. Milan and Atalanta have already advanced to the quarterfinals, while the remaining round of 16 matches will be played next week. Now we can get healthy and focus squarely on Serie A and the Europa League. That will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll preview our match on Monday against Bologna. Welcome to part 2 of the Fort Napoli podcast. Next, let's preview our match against Bologna on Monday. Bologna come into this match sitting in 12th position, tied with Hellas Verona on 27 points. Bologna had a strong first half of the campaign. At times, they were knocking at the door for European qualification. Unfortunately, their form has declined a little bit of late. They've lost four of their last five matches, but the calendar wasn't terribly kind to them. They played Fiorentina, Juventus, and Sassuolo during that stretch. Their one win was actually against Sassuolo, which was an impressive result given the form that Sassuolo are in at the moment. It probably would have been 5 losses in 6 matches had their match against Inter not been postponed due to COVID. Bologna have been one of the hardest hit clubs with COVID. That has been another factor during this poor run of results. It certainly didn't help them in their most recent match, which was a 2-1 loss at Cagliari. Coincidentally, each of our last two opponents in Serie a lost to Kalyadi immediately before their match against us, which is pretty wild considering that Kalyadi have only three wins all season. Sinisa Mihailovic was his usual honest self after that match. He said Kalyadi could have postponed the match by a day and chose not to, but in life everyone gets what they deserve. Both Bologna and Napoli have been on the mend though, at least as far as COVID goes. On Saturday, Gary Medel and Emmanuel Vignato both tested negative. At one point, Bologna had 8 or 9 positive players and now they're only positive players Federico Santander. Bologna still have quite a few players missing though. Ibrahima Mbaye and Musabero are representing Senegal and Gambia respectively at the Africa Cup of Nations. As of Saturday, Jared Schutten was still doing personalized training while he recovers from a pubis bone injury, and Riccardo Orsolini did therapy for a shoulder injury he suffered against Cagliari. He would be a huge loss for Bologna. Orsolini has been on fire lately. He has three goals and an assist in his last four appearances. He scored with an absolutely gorgeous free kick against Cagliari, and he hit the upright in the second half of that match. Neither Orsolini nor Schutten seem likely to make it to the squad. Kevin Bonifazi and Nicolas Dominguez were both removed from the cali match due to injury as well, so they could also miss this match. Finally, Michael Kingsley will definitely miss the match with a fractured fibula. Meanwhile, Napoli have just about recovered from COVID as well. Piotr Zielinski tested negative on Friday. That was his second time getting COVID and he was asymptomatic, so the expectation is that he will recover rather quickly That means our only remaining positive player is Kaludu Koulibaly who wouldn't have played regardless because he is at AFCON. Of course, Frank Zambo and Adam Unes are both at AFCON as well. Meanwhile, Victor Osman completed the full group training on Friday and the reports are that he is eager to play again, but he will most likely be on the bench. As far as injuries goes, two players will be missing. Lorenzo Insigne continues to do therapy on his adductor muscle. The hope is that we get him back for the Venezia match. And the other is Davido Spina, who picked up a calf injury in the Coppa Italia match against Fiorentina. He will be out at least until the international break. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Mihailovic will line up in either a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-2-1, which will largely depend on whether Orsolini is fit to play. Since I don't think Orsolini will start, I'm expecting the 3-5-2 with Lukas Skorupski in goal. If Gary Medel is fit to play, then I think we'll see a back three of Medel, Artur Teate, and Adama Sumauro. If Medel is on the bench, then I think we'll see Luis Binks fill in, not knowing the condition of Bonifazi. Aaron Hickey will likely start at left wing back, and Andreas Kovalsin will start at right wing back. Normally, Roberto Soriano starts in the center of the midfield, with Nicolas Dominguez to his left and Matthias Bamberg to his right. If Dominguez doesn't play, then ex-benevento player Nicola Viola would likely start in his place. Finally, we should see Marco Arnautovic and Nicola Sansone start together up top. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti will line up in the 4-2-3-1 formation with Alex Meret in goal. Juan Jesus should return to the starting 11 to start alongside Amir Rachmani at centre-back. Mario Rui tested negative on Thursday so he should be able to start at left-back. And Giovanni Di Lorenzo should be starting again at right-back. I think we'll finally see Fabian Ruiz return to the starting 11 to play alongside Stanislav Lobotka. Finally, I think we're going to see the same front four that we've seen in the last two matches, which is Elif Elmas on the left, Mateo Politano on the right, Dries Mertens in the number 10, and Andrea Petagna at striker. Now, we could see some changes there with how much Elmas, Mertens, and Petagna have played lately, especially against Fiorentina. I wouldn't be surprised if Lozano started on the left, and then Elmas played over Mertens in the number 10. Elmas is obviously younger than Mertens, so he should be able to recover quicker And playing in the number 10 will reduce the amount of running Elmas would have to do compared to playing on the wing. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is we need to regroup and refocus after what was arguably our worst performance of the season. It was definitely our worst performance in terms of the number of goals we conceded. Thankfully, that was a Coppa Italia match and not a Serie A match. After the match, Spalletti was asked if there were any positive takeaways from the match and he said there were none. Both the Fiorentina match and the Bologna match were moved out a day given the COVID situations at both of these clubs. As I mentioned, both teams have recovered all but one of their positive players, so that decision seems to have worked out. However, Bologna will be the more rested side. They did not play midweek because they were knocked out of the Coppa Italia by Ternana back in August, so their last match was that match against Cali about a week prior to this one. Prior to that, Bologna did not play their match against Inter because they were ordered by their local health authority to quarantine. That would have been their first game back after the winter break, which means Bologna have only played one match over the last month. Now, that could be good and bad. It's good in terms of rest, but it's bad in terms of chemistry. Meanwhile, Napoli will be playing with only three days in between matches, and as we talked about in part one, we played 120 minutes in the Fiorentina match, which was far from ideal. So we'll have to get over that loss both from a mental perspective and from a physical perspective. Even though we won't be 100%, I do think the players will be encouraged to have Meret, Malqui, Mario Rui, Zelensky, and Lozano all back together in the squad. My second key to the match is that we need to get between the lines, particularly between the midfield five and the back three. That's something Mertens has done really well playing in the number 10. He drops to show for the ball and often plays a clever flick or backheel pass to Petania. I suspect if he gets between the lines, then he'll also have time to turn, and if he does, he should have multiple options. He'll have his wingers making the runs out wide, he could look to slip the ball through to Petanya, or he can let those players pull the defenders out of position so that he can take the shot, and that might be the best option given the quality of his finishing. My final key to the match is to watch out for Aaron Hickey joining the attack. The young Scott is having a bit of a breakout season at Bologna. He joined the club last season at only 18 years of age, so naturally it took him some time to get acclimated to the league and to the country, especially for someone that is so young. He definitely looks more confident this season. I think he's really benefited from playing in the 3-5-2, particularly in the attacking phase. He already has four goals on the season, one with his left and three with his right. His first was a gorgeous strike with his left against Genoa on match day 5. That was his first goal ever in Serie A. Then he scored his second two matches later against Lazio. He was a bit fortunate that the ball snuck past Peperina, but he made a great touch to set up that shot. Then he didn't score again until the Fiorentina match, again cutting towards his right. That shot deflected off Odriozzola before beating Terracciano, but again, he set the shot up beautifully with a quick touch in that direction. But without a doubt, Hickey's best goal was the most recent one, which he scored against Sassuolo. Bologna played a short corner kick before Skovolsen played a bouncing ball into the area. Somehow it got all the way through to Hickey at the edge of the area and he blasted the ball into the top corner, again with his right foot, which I believe is not his strong foot. So we definitely need to keep an eye on the youngster now. I'm assuming he starts, but he may not. Hickey is one of the players that recently recovered from covid like Zielinski, it's the second time he's tested positive, so you would expect his recovery to be quicker than the first time, but if he doesn't start, then Mitchell Dykes would likely start at left wing back. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Napoli victory. I'll give our goals to Mertens and petania and I'll give the Bologna goal to Arnautovic. I think this will be a tough match. If you don't include their 6-1 loss to Inter, Bologna have a goal differential of 0. In other words, they score as much as they concede. That, combined with what I mentioned about Napoli playing on short rest, leads me to believe that this will be a close match. I'm not terribly optimistic that we'll get a clean sheet with Alex Meret in goal. I'm not saying he's a bad goalkeeper, but for whatever reason, we always seem to concede when he's in goal. He has only two clean sheets in all competitions this season, compared to Ospina, who has 10 clean sheets, which is second amongst goalkeepers playing in Europe. If you include the three goals that Meret conceded in stoppage time against Fiorentina, Meret has allowed 16 goals over 8 appearances, which is an average of 2 goals per match. So I wouldn't be shocked if we drew this match 1-1 or 2-2, but I'm going to be optimistic and say that we eke out the victory. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. Before I let you go, be sure to check out our latest Napolitan song of the week, which I just posted on our Twitter page. This week's song is 24 Granas, Chiramme". That song is from the album Ghostwriters, which was released in 2009. Ghostwriters was the second-last studio album they recorded before frontman Francesco Di Bello left the band to pursue a solo career. After seven years, the original band members reunited to record a song called Aracota featuring Clementino, who you might know from Cosacos. Cos, cos. They were supposed to do a live tour in 2020, but I'm not sure if that ever happened due to COVID. We'll have to wait and see if they produce another studio album. So that will do for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ForzaNapoliPod. I'll be back next week to review this match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!